There are those who say, well, I believe in God, but they don't want Him to rule. And you know, the real issue, I'm not impressed at all when somebody tells me, I believe in a God. There must be somebody upstairs. The Bible says, in fact, that all men know that. We saw that back in chapter 1. You may be here and say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, I know deep down you do. Because the scripture says, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks. And the question isn't, do you believe in God? I mean, the demons believe in God and they shudder because they're in rebellion against God, the Bible says. No, the question isn't, do you believe in God? The question is, do you honor Him as God? Is He God to you? Do you worship Him? Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Israel's Unbelief. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Ninth chapter of Romans. We've been uh, looking at the book of Romans for some time. And if you're just joining us, why I say welcome. I'm glad you're here. And uh, we obviously celebrated the resurrection of Christ last week. And uh, really, as Christians, we celebrated every every day, but it was a joy for us to focus on uh, our Savior's resurrection last week, the foundation of Christianity, that God came to earth, He died in our place, and He rose again for our justification. And uh, that's really what Romans is all about. Romans is explaining the good news of God in a systematic, thorough way. And so... uh, You're jumping in with us into Romans 9. We're about halfway through Romans. Romans lays out the great uh, truth of the gospel. And in the first eight chapters, we've seen that man has no claim on God from his own merit. In fact, he has no merit. He is unrighteous before God. But the righteous God has provided righteousness in His Son, Jesus Christ. And whoever... Jew, Gentile, uh, no matter what your background, if you recognize your sin and you'll take your place as a sinner and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners, who died for you, why, you are declared righteous. You're declared right with God and you enjoy all the blessings of being in God's family. It's always on the basis of His cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, in one sense, you could say, now that kind of summarizes in a very thumbnail sketch, uh, chapters 1 through 8. When you get to chapter 9, 9, 10, and 11 are right in the center of Romans, right after Paul has explained all the implications of the gospel. He says, what about Israel? In fact, I think any thoughtful reader of the Scripture might ask that question. What about all these promises to Israel? Has the Word of God failed? I mean, has God set Israel aside? Because Israel, by and large, nationally, has rejected Christ. Has God's purposes for Israel, have they been thwarted? Has His Word failed? And the Scripture answers, no. God isn't done with Israel. Now, chapter 9 By and large, the nation is in unbelief. But God is calling out to Jew and Gentile alike today. We're going to see in chapter 10 the great heart of God going out to whoever 
will call upon his name. And God is going to work in such a way, we're going to see in chapter 11, that he will once again bring Israel to the forefront of his purposes. And in fact, he will uh, fulfill his promises to Israel. Now, having said that, you look at chapter 9 with me, and we've seen that uh, all men are sinful. I mean, we've seen that all the way through Romans, but we've seen it in chapter 9. Moses, Pharaoh, Jacob, Esau, Ishmael, Isaac, I mean all of us are sinful. And uh, salvation is of God's mercy. Look at verse 16. So then, it doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. It depends on God who has mercy, and it depends on His sovereign mercy. Moses said, show me your glory, Lord. And the Lord said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And God in sovereign mercy saves out of a mass of sinful humanity. I mean, He could have righteously judged us all. We deserved it. But He, in amazing grace, reaches down and saves. And it is to His glory, and it will be to His glory forever. And He does so from both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, look down at verse 24 where we left off. Even us, whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Uh, and he calls the called, he refers to the called here, and you remember the terminology he used, vessels of wrath, those who are prepared for destruction, and his vessels of mercy, those whom he has prepared for mercy. Now, sinful man objects and says, that's not fair, that's fatalism, that somehow takes away man's responsibility. And Paul answers those questions, and we've been looking at that, and uh, he destroys both objections. It is fair. God could righteously judge us all, but he has chosen to exercise sovereign mercy and save uh, those whom he calls, and he did so at his cost. He did so at his cost. He's absolutely righteous in all that he does, and he didn't just say, I'll save you. He sent his son to the cross in our place. To save us. And it's not cold fatalism. It's a merciful and sovereign God reaching out and saving men who are sinful and responsible. And so, uh, we want to remember that. Now, before we go any further, and we want to jump in and just see the, how the rest of this chapter unfolds and where Paul goes with it. But before we go any further, let me just reiterate that God is God. Don't forget that. Man loves to argue with God. He loves to debate with God. Sinful man likes to, to try to take God on. And I guess you can for a while. If you're one who's arguing with God, He's allowing you to for now. But there will come a quick and abrupt end to that argument. And don't you uh, complain about God. Uh, you bow down before God. Uh, you say, well, I don't like God the way He's... Pre well... That's not God's problem. That's your problem. And God is reaching out to you today. The whole message of Scripture and the whole message of Romans is the amazing love that would send His Son to the cross on your behalf. And I say, come to Him. Don't, uh, don't deny. Don't uh, 
procrastinate, don't uh, argue, don't quibble with God. Come to Him. And I'll tell you, you know, many people today uh, are congratulating themselves that they believe in the existence of God, but they want nothing to do with His supremacy. There are those who say, well, I believe in God, but they don't want Him to rule. And you know, the real issue, I'm not impressed at all when somebody tells me, I believe in a God. There must be somebody upstairs. <laughs> the Bible says, in fact, that all men know that. We saw that back in chapter 1. Uh, you may be here and say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, I know deep down you do. Because the Scripture says, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks. And the question isn't, do you believe in God? I mean, the demons believe in God and they shudder because they're in rebellion against God, the Bible says. No, the question isn't, do you believe in God? The question is, do you honor Him as God? Is He God to you? Do you worship Him? That's what we saw right back at the beginning of Romans. And chapter 9 just kind of brings it up in a more uh, clear way, you might say. Do we honor Him? Now, let's look where we're going. Watch at verse 25. Really, I should say verse 24 because I want to kind of overlap and see uh, how this ties together. But where we're going, basically, verses 24 through 29 address the original question. Has the Word of God failed? And he's going to answer that, No. No, and he's going to cite two texts from Hosea and two texts from Isaiah to show that uh, God's purposes for Israel haven't changed, and in fact, they're going to be fulfilled, and we'll see more of that. He's going to come back to that in chapter 11. And then, uh, verses 30 through 33, he kind of raises the final question, what should we say to all this that we've seen? And he shows that this does not in any way negate man's responsibility. The fact that God is sovereign and that God is sovereignly working out His purposes in earth, on earth and that He'll save those whom He'll save, He'll have compassion on whom He'll have compassion, in no way cancels out the great need for man to respond to God. And so verse 30 through 33, uh, I might, you might put it this way, if Verse 6, and that's really where he raised the first question after he thought about Israel's unbelief. If verse 6 through 29 tell us how, or maybe I should say why, men are saved, and they do, God's sovereign mercy. Verse 30 through 33 answer the question why men are lost. They're lost because of their sin, and they're lost because of their unbelief and their rejection of His grace. Now that's where we're going. Let's just, uh, let's watch it unfold. Starting at verse 24. Uh, well, we'll start at verse 23. He did so in order that He might make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. As He says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not My people, My people. And her who is not beloved, Beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute His word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, 
Except the Lord of Sabbath had left to us a posterity, we would have become as Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Has God's word failed? No, Paul says. He says, uh, let me explain. The prophets of old uh, predicted these things. Israel would be nationally set aside. A remnant would be saved. But the gospel would go out to the Gentiles. The Gentiles uh, coming to salvation will work jealousy in Israel. And there will be yet a return to God in the national uh, scope of things among Israel that he'll talk about in chapter 11. And the remnant that are saved today, Jew and Gentile alike, look over at the last verse, verse 33. They're saved by belief in Christ. He who believes in Him will not be disappointed. Now let me leave that right there and we'll get to there. Think about that today. You may be saying, I'm not, I'm not clear on all of God's purposes. Listen. God has provided a Savior, and if you'll believe in Him, you will not be disappointed. He has laid the very cornerstone of what He's doing in Jesus Christ. He who believes in Him will not be disappointed. That's the bottom line of it, and uh, that's where He's going. Now, verse 24, He mentions that uh, the vessels of mercy, those being saved, are from among Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, this shocked... The Jews. This shocked the Jews. But Paul has made it clear from the very beginning of Romans. He said, uh, God is calling out Gentiles uh, to himself. And uh, the Jews had a hard time with this. But Paul goes ahead now and cites, uh, verse, verse 25, he cites two texts from Hosea and then two from Isaiah. And the two texts in, I, in Hosea, the first two, verse 25 and 26, uh, emphasize Israel's guilt, and I mean awful guilt, and God's amazing mercy. In fact, you could put it, you know, I, I hesitate to use the term because it's been so overused in our day, but Israel's awful guilt and God's awesome, awe-inspiring mercy. Because Hosea, you remember, uh, was an Old Testament prophet who married a woman, Gomer, who was unfaithful. She played the harlot to him and had at least two children that he didn't even think were his own. And God used him, this Hebrew prophet, as a picture. And he told Hosea to continue to love Gomer, his wife, and he showed that amazing self-sacrificial faithful love to her, even though she was faithless to him. And it was a picture of God's dealings with Israel. Israel played the harlot, the awful sin and guilt of Israel, and yet the awesome 
awe-inspiring mercy of God toward Israel. So those two texts emphasize uh, Israel's guilt, God's mercy. Then the two texts in Isaiah, verses 27 through 29, emphasize the, uh, they both talk about the remnant, and they emphasize once again Israel's guilt and God's mercy in calling out a remnant. Now, Isaiah, I mean Hosea, told, uh, verse 25, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who is not beloved, beloved. Hosea prophesied how God would, in mercy, still reach out to Israel in rebellion and call her back to himself. And Paul takes that and applies it to the current situation in his day and in our day where God has taken people who are not his people, Gentiles, and included them in his family. And just as Israel had basically taken the place of godless Gentiles by turning away from God, God said, I'm not done with them, and there's coming a day when they will yet again be my people. And Paul takes that here and applies it to the situation. I just point out that Israel's future restoration is promised by God, and it is undeserved by Israel. And today... Uh, the inclusion of Gentiles, the fact that most of us probably here in the room are Gentiles and can have fellowship with God that was promised by God, and it's based on His mercy, not our merit. And so he underlines it with these two texts from Hosea. And in fact, he goes on, verse 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it's only the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute His word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us as posterity, we would have become as Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. God's going to save a remnant from Israel. And this had been foretold, and uh, Israel had no reason to complain. In fact, if God didn't save a remnant, there would be none saved. Israel, left to itself, would sink just as low as the lowest of the Gentile nations. Hence the reference to, verse 29, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's quoting from the very first chapter of Isaiah. If God hadn't reached out in mercy, Israel would have sunk just as low as Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, stop and apply that to your life, Christian, and my life, because Israel's always a picture. God's dealings with the nation are a picture of His larger dealings with mankind. If God didn't reach out and save us, uh, we would have sunk as low as possible. Uh, God is the merciful God. And uh, when we think of Him saving anyone, we should marvel at it. So when you get to verse 29, after he underlines this remnant uh, idea, basically you've come full circle. Look back at verse 6. It's not as though the Word of God has failed, has it? No. No. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. It's not just enough to be born into Abraham's race. No. So the Word of God hasn't failed. And he comes back and he says, God is going to, in mercy, take a rebellious nation who doesn't want to be his people and has played the harlot. He's going to call them back to himself and he's going to sovereignly and in mercy bring back a remnant. But it's not all Israel who are descended from Israel, but no, he's going to save 
uh, remnant. Now, if you want a brief, and I think it's good to get a, a brief historical sketch of this, uh, you can either just listen or you can try to turn to Deuteronomy 28 and uh, listen briefly to God's Word on this. Deuteronomy 28, to get kind of a historical reference for God's dealings with Israel and see what He had promised. He said that uh, He was going to scatter them if they rebelled against Him. Deuteronomy 28, when they first went into the land, starting at verse 58, if you're not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues. Now remember, this is the people whom God has called out of Egypt, and they've seen plenty of His ability to bring plagues. And He says, I want you to be faithful to me. But if you're not, if you fail to remember me, I'll bring plagues on you. And down in verse 64, Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. I'm going to scatter you, Israel, if you turn your back on me. And of course, they did. You read the Old Testament and it's a record of them turning their back on God and God scattering them with the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Uh, you think even on down to our day, uh, the terrible judgment that fell on Israel soon after Paul wrote these things in A.D. 70 under Rome and the scattering of Israel throughout the nations. But look over at Deuteronomy 30. Just turn a page over to Deuteronomy 30 and he's not done. He says, I'm going to scatter you, but I will regather you. I will regather you. Deuteronomy 30, So it shall come about when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and will have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, watch this, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Israel's Unbelief a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. There's two kinds of people today. There's those saying, I'm going to approach God my way. And then there are those who come as broken-hearted ones, who come and found their life on the rock, the cornerstone. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Which way is it for you? For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. God had to send His Son to this earth to provide redemption, and He did. And He offers that gospel, that good news to you today. And I look at the last verse of Romans 9 and reiterate it. Don't stumble over Him. Don't treat Him as a rock of offense but realize he's the cornerstone of what God is doing. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Israel's Unbelief. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.